world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up! It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. I've been to Spain. It's pretty good. <laughs> Sorry, there's some stuff in Spain. It's like cultural I'm... crossroads, like lots of history there, you know. Dude, Guernica? Yeah. Is amazing. Yeah. I'm sure it is. It's, it's, it's huge. It's just huge. The picture in the textbook. You go into the museum, and it's it's huge. I just feel like 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 I'd be like a sleeper agent, and just something would awaken inside, <laughs> and I would just go to a bar and be like, "Do you have tequila?" And they'd be like, "No," and I'd be like, "Ah, it begins." <laughs> and somebody locks the door, <laughs> like, and ballroom blitz starts playing, but it's like a Spanish version of it. It's the music from Desperado. <laughs> and you just come in with a guitar case. And they're like, cerveza? And you're like, no, tequila. And they're like, no, tequila, aquí, or however they say it in Spain. Yeah. I know they say ciudad in a different way than... Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you just open up the guitar case. But, oh, oh, spoiler alert, that ain't no guitar in there. Oh. <laughs> That's a cool movie that I've seen most of on TV. <laughs> and probably, <laughs> probably for the better. Based Probably on the number of dudes months. that get shot up. Well, on that note, should we just start? <laughs> yeah, you can cut everything I've said so far. It's fine. <laughs> but anyway, it's the Superhuman Registration Podcast. We're here to talk about some comics. I'm Steven, and John and Aldo are with me as well. And we like comic books. Yes. And we read some of them this time. Yeah. Sure. Why are you so apprehensive, Steven? What's going on? What are you? What's the matter? Well, I'm. I have thoughts about the the podcast or about the comics that we read today, and but you're afraid that because it's a white man, your 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 uh, your thoughts will be misconstrued as something else. Well, I just didn't really like these, and I'm worried that I'm gonna like create tension here. Where do we want to start? Uh, Agents of Atlas, because it has it starts. It's. It starts with an A. I kind of think we should start with Agents of Atlas, which I'm regretting. I, I volunteered to summarize this one, and I don't know how, because I actually kind of had trouble following the plot. So, the Agents of Atlas, the, this current incarnation of the team, it's a group of superheroes from all over, like, major Asian and Pacific nations. So, the leader of the team is... I believe, Amadeus Cho. Well, technically, the leader of the team is Jimmy Woo. You know, WandaVision's Jimmy Woo, who is headquartered somewhere off-secret, collaborating with a dragon named Mr. Lau. And they're sending the team of Agents of Atlas out on a mission to this strange city called Pan. Pan is a... uh, Almost like it's not really another dimension, but it's it's bits and pieces of a lot of major cities where there is a significant Asian population. It's a Neverland. Uh, I, I don't want to just say Asian cities because I believe there's a like a segment of New York in there as well. Chinatown, New York. So areas with high population of people of Asian descent. Right. Yeah. So, but like New York means it's not just like cities in the continent of Asia. Yeah. Right. Anyway, so it's just segments of all of these cities kind of mushed together via these interdimensional portals. And uh, the whole thing is sort of spearheaded by this guy named Mike Nguyen. Michael Nguyen, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. And he's very much like a, a Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, you know, influencer slash disruptor type. And the team of Agents of Atlas, like, immediately distrust him. The team is currently made up of Amadeus Cho, who is still Hulkified, and he's going by the name Brawn. And then there is Silk, Arrow, Giant Man, Luna Snow, Swordmaster, Wave, White Fox, and Shang-Chi. Did I miss anyone? Uh, Crescent. Oh yeah, Crescent. I forgot about Crescent. Also from Seoul. Yeah. Some of these, this is the first comic I've read with them in them, so... Right. I don't remember if I mentioned the new Giant Man. This is Giant Man. This is not uh, Hank Pym or Bill Foster. 
who has also been a giant man. This is a man named uh, Razmalotra. I'm not 100% sure that I've pronounced that right. Like, he, he's uh, an Indian-American, so, I, like, I, again, I don't really have the pronunciation right. But anyway, the team is made up of mostly characters that I don't know a lot about. Jimmy Woo, I know just a little bit about. Shang-Chi, I know more and more about, thanks to, you know, recent expeditions of the podcast. And Amadeus Cho, big fan of. And then there are characters like Silk, who I should know more about than I do. I, I don't actually know much about Silk. Anyway, the whole pan thing has Amadeus Cho on edge. Uh, he can't find anything, like, illegal that they're doing, but he keeps the team around to sort of investigate. And while they're there... Um, they keep running into and teaming up with slash getting in altercations with uh, a superhero named the Protector of Pan, who's kind of like a swordsman, which when you have another superhero named Swordmaster seems a little redundant. Yeah, Protector is a knob, but we'll get to it. <laughs> Indeed. A lot of strange goings on around Pan. Uh, they're frequently getting attacked by dragons. Refugees from Madripoor try to uh, come to Pan and they run afoul of the quote-unquote border guard. I don't know if that's actually what they're called, but they try to keep them out, but the agents of Atlas kind of shepherd them in. Also, in a weird moment of, like, emotional upheaval, Amadeus Cho and is it... Oh gosh, I'm embarrassed by this. Was it White Fox or Luna Snow? It Luna, was Luna Snow, Snow right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah Luna so Snow. Amadeus Cho and Luna Snow share a kiss that they happen to capture on camera, and that becomes like one of the big promotional images for Pan. And they're kind of embarrassed because Amadeus Cho is definitely crushing on Luna Snow, but Luna Snow is not down for dating because she is a pop idol who has like a clause in her contract that she has to be single which is which is like a real thing which is a real thing from what i understand yeah i, I actually kind of want to talk about the the pop idol aspect of that character a little bit later the whole thing kind of comes to a head when amadeus cho and his team break in to the headquarters of pan and they find out that nguyen has captured a dragon and that's why the dragons keep attacking. But not only is this like a dragon, it's like an Atlantean dragon, which prompts an attack from the Atlanteans. The whole thing ends with Namor coming in and shouting Imperius Rex. And that's the end of the story. The whole thing leads into another event called Atlantis Attacks. I think I covered the high points. Yep. I think I covered most of the, the salient details. There was a lot in this, and... I have significant mixed feelings about it, but what did you guys think? I hated the ending. It, it set up a really good moral predicament for Amadeus Cho, especially for Amadeus Cho, who's been kind of dealing with this kind of heart first, head second. So for it to kind of like just end on like that big decision of like, do we let the dragon go? Do we do this? And then it get interrupted by, by Namor. It just feels, I don't, I don't know, like a little disingenuous. It, it feels a lot more like a commercial than like it had been feeling. Yeah, like, because there is this story that's getting set up. If Amadeus Cho frees the dragon, then Pan comes crumbling down, including, and, and that disrupts the lives of these Madriporian uh, refugees that they just rescued. And so it's like, do we free the dragon and endanger these people? Or do we let these people live in relative safety on, you know, the backs of this dragon that is being treated so poorly? Like, it is a moral conundrum, and one that I think is actually kind of relevant. And to have the whole thing get sidelined by, you know, Atlantis attacks the event. By a white man in a speedo. <sighs> He's technically blue. <laughs> <laughs> He's just white passing. <laughs> white passing. <laughs> nice. I don't know. Maybe Atlantis Attacks is good, but this as its own story leading into Atlantis Attacks. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that, although. John, what did you think? I, I, it kind of had a lot going on. It was very busy, but it was, I was still like interested because these were all new characters to me and it was interesting putting them in these predicaments and they were being taken advantage of by this like, you know, rich jerk who, like, was doing something very cool, but then, you know, was going to take advantage of people's lives for it. And it was just, boy, it felt uh, relevant to our world today. And, um, I don't know, the art was competent throughout. And, uh, competent, that, that sounds like I'm, like, saying, like, it was okay. I liked it. Um, but, yeah, like, it, I, I, I think if, like, we had read the entire, like, you know, 
the whole, like where it leads up to when they're fighting with um, uh, you know Atlantis. That'd be interesting, but it kind of just cuts off, and it's like, ah, well, okay. So, a little disappointed, but you know. Yeah, it's definitely a bit of a bummer because, like, we have this really, this really like good diverse cast. Like, I actually really like the cast, and knowing that they all came from like their own books or their own like little corner of the the Marvel universe, like they weren't just made for this book, mm-hmm. was was really cool, right? Because like it, they all have like their own history. On particular to like Cindy Moon, uh, she's like one of my favorite like Spider People mm-hmm. for really really juvenile reasons. But uh, we're not. <laughs> and her whole thing is that like she got her spider powers the same day as Peter Parker, but then was the taken hostage spider. or in the same spider. Oh, but then she was like put in a coma or like time travel or yeah, something. She, no, no, she was kidnapped and then she was kind of experimented on the whole time that, uh, that Peter Parker had been Spider-Man. Was that Hydra or was that, am I mixing her up with Spider-Woman? Uh, I think you're mixing her up with Spider-Woman. I okay. can't remember who it was. I think it was just some generic evil corporation. Hmm. Because they come from the same spider, essentially. Uh, they have, like, this thing where, like, every time they're around each other, they just they just really want to, you know, web it up. They just really want to get down to business. They really want to smooch. Yes. They just want to give each other a lot of really aggressive hugs. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Gross, <laughs> Anyways, guys. But, uh... Gross. <laughs> But, but yeah, so like so it's really cool, especially because uh, some of the characters like Luna Snow and Arrow, they came from like this like little series they did where they, like each of those characters had like a single issue where it introduced them. And I know that the point was like a little and part of the pun here. Actually, don't part of the pun. I've been holding it in since like I oh, read no. the book. Arrow and Luna Snow, are, 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 they're pandering. <laughs> wow. I do. <laughs> I don't he's know been, that I can Steven, that. he's been so happy all day. Just let him, let him have <laughs> Yeah, they were specifically made to, like, tap into that, you know, the kind of, the Korean, the South Korean market, you know, like, they really wanted to give them somebody to kind of root for. So, I mean, I don't know, part of me wants to be, like, not cynical about it and be like, yeah, Marvel just wants to help, you know, give more representation. And they do. But also, Marvel sees an untapped market. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, but both, I mean, both things can be true. Yeah, and they probably. I've are. read Arrow actually has like a solo series, mm-hmm. um, and I've read the first issue, mm-hmm. and I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, and I've been meaning to read some of those books because uh, like that whole line was interesting to me as somebody who's also a fan of like South Korean culture or not culture, I guess modern South Korean pop culture. <laughs> Listen, I like I like Gangnam Style, all right? Okay. Yeah, you're talking to someone who just made a K-pop playlist including Mamamoo and Dreamcatcher and Shiny and yeah, like Hey, did you guys know you can get whiter? You can totally get whiter. <laughs> I didn't know that until just now while I was sitting here. But yeah, totally can. So it was interesting like the the character of Luna Snow like mm-hmm. having this, you know, pop idol background and the way that it kind of came into play in the story where uh Nguyen gets sued by her agent because by posting the image of her making out with Amadeus Cho, he's violate like he's causing her to violate her contract, and that got into some interesting stuff. Like because I've talked with my wife uh, quite a bit about intellectual property, especially when it comes to things like photos that are taken. Um, you do not own your likeness in most cases. Nope. Huh. So if somebody takes a photo of you, that's their intellectual property. So the paparazzi own all of the photos that they take of people like, you know, Britney Spears or whoever. Which is kind of horrifying, but also interesting. But there are limitations on how they can use it. Like, they can't... And all of that doesn't really matter because this is a whole other, like, K-pop thing. But at the end of the day... None of that matters because you get this impression that Nguyen is using the romance to, like, drum up support for Pan to whatever evil end he's planning on. And he's going to shift his attention from uh, Amadeus and Luna Snow to the protector of Pan and Giant Man who are starting to have a weird little thing going on. And none of it matters because Namor shows up. All of these interesting things that wind up not mattering because Namor shows up. Part of me feels I have to correct you, but I also have to give the asterisk that I am not a native Vietnamese speaker. My uh, connection to the last name is is uh, maybe five years ago, but I think I believe it's actually pronounced like Huan, like Win. I thought it was Win, not not Nian. Yeah, yeah, I think that's closer. Like you don't, yeah, 
Sorry, Stephen. I just wanted to throw. Oh no, not a problem. Like actually, I'm thinking. Don't they say like spell out how to pronounce it in the book somewhere? And I'm just missing it. I don't think actually so. think they did. No, I, I just they did. from experience. N g u y e n is win. Win. Okay, I'll take the correction. I don't mind being wrong. I don't mind being corrected, especially when I am wrong. So arrow and Luna and who is the third? There's like. One girl has air powers, one girl has water powers, and one girl has, like, freezing powers. So, yeah, is that... Oh, it's Wave, yeah. Yeah. And they just can control air, water, and temperature, is that... And then they, like, team up to make icy waves, I guess. I feel like Amadeus Cho, like, we don't get to see him really, like, use his genius, you know? Oh, I have a rant about this. All right, I'm just going to sit back. Go on. (laughs) I am actually mad about this. So... My favorite portrayal of Amadeus Cho, and we've read a few books with him in it now, is in The Incredible Hercules. Because in The Incredible Hercules, we get to see how smart Amadeus Cho is. Like, he is really good with physics, and you can tell this because he's able to say, Hey, Hercules, hit this boulder at this angle, and that will knock it into the helicarrier and, you know, save the day. And that's cool. And then you see him be really good at math because he can sit down and, like, solve these really complex problems. And you see him... You actually see him use his intelligence. I feel like since Amadeus Cho has been Hulkified, we don't see that anymore. At all. I don't want to excuse it, but I feel like part of it... Part of that has got to be that it's got to be really hard to write somebody smart. Oh, yeah. Okay, but... This book was written by Greg Puck, who also wrote The Incredible Hercules. Fair enough. It's the same guy. <laughs> I don't have an explanation for that. Um, and it's just, it's really frustrating because, you know, Amadeus Cho is supposedly the seventh smartest person in the world. Like, that's his thing. I thought he was How the third. How does he solve the problems? I believe he's seventh. Okay. Yeah. That's funny um, that he would know. He'd be upset. He, well, it's, it's fitting that he would know. Because he's kind of an egoist, which is another thing that's great about him. But now that he's the Hulk, or like a Hulk, because he's not the Hulk, he's Brawn, his whole thing appears to be, you know, being super strong. Because that's what we see him do when we saw him, and admittedly our sample size isn't huge here, but when we saw him in uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, he was there to punch things. Here, he doesn't solve the problems by using his massive intellect, by, you know, uh, putting things together, by doing crazy math stuff. He's just there to punch stuff, and he's completely thwarted by something that he should be able to resolve pretty easily. Because, like, we've seen him in other stories, like, hack into complex computer systems. He hijacks a helicarrier. It's just... It bothers me so much that this character whose defining characteristic is supposed to be his intellect doesn't get to use his intellect throughout this whole story. Ugh, it's just frustrating. I think part of it was I think they really want to drive home the point that, like, at least in this mission in particular, because at least to me it felt like the point here is that he's kind of losing his grip because he's less focused mentally and he's kind of letting his, like, emotions dominate a little bit, right? Because he's very awkward at the beginning. He wants everybody to like him because he is, like, the new boss or he's the leader of the group. Uh, He has, like, this crush on Luna. He's also... Hasn't been able to contact Jimmy Woo. Like, there's a lot of stuff kind of happening to him. And I think part of the thing is that he's not quite up to, like, lead leader snuff, right? Like, he's he's kind of dealing with this. And part of the story is that he's kind of letting his emotions win. But but at the same time, kind of like, like we're saying, like, the story doesn't really end. It ends on a cliffhanger. But, like, in, in my head, what I was expecting was I was expecting him to kind of cool himself back down and kind of go back to an intellect-driven decision-making type thing, right? Like, that's kind of what I was hoping we'd go back to. Right. But it doesn't happen. I mean, a lot of stuff feels like it doesn't really conclude here because it doesn't. Yeah. And so, I don't know. Again, maybe all of this stuff winds up paying off in Atlantis Attacks. Maybe Arrow and Crescent actually wind up with something to do. In Atlantis Attacks. Yeah. So so one of the things I I really like is is books where like the uh where you have a guy and a girl who are not which in a totally platonic relationship. And and we don't really get a lot of that because of course like everybody has to like hook up with somebody. But I really liked 
Amadeus and Cindy Moon's uh, relationship. But they're crushing on each other. Yeah, I liked that too. And it was kind of like, but she was, did she, was she upset about him kissing Luna or not? Or like, was she more just like, 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 that's weird for you. What are you, what are you, what are you doing about that? Like, I, I think so. I think it was more of that latter. But they are crushing on each other a little bit because, like, there's this compliment exchange that they have going on towards the end of issue five where they both start blushing. Yeah, but also, I mean, look at Amadeus Cho. I mean, that, that boy's a, a, a mint snack. <laughs> oh, gosh. I like that we read this. This was... Uh, different team up characters i'm not familiar with i'm glad that they made this comic i hope they continue to do projects like this i would even be interested in reading more of this but it it was it's kind of hard to follow because we didn't get like a whole lot of focus from one character you know or or like i wanted more of amadeus cho and i wasn't quite getting that you know it would have been i would have been fine if you know it was just him and i feel like other team books do a better job and we get little moments of just certain members of the team talking to each other, uh, and it just wasn't quite done where everyone gets like their own time to shine. It felt like yeah, um, yeah. especially when we look at. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm I'm probably biased, so I can't really like objectively say because I really like Runaways, but our other book tonight is Runaways, and I feel like you know they did a better job of going from member to, you know team member to team member to team member hopping around, you know, but. It's funny because I actually have a similar complaint with Runaways, but I think that's more because of the tons and tons of new characters that they introduce. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of like day players. Yeah, so, but we're not talking about that yet. Um, I don't know. I I would I I'm this particular story falls flat because it's you know a run up to a big event, um, and I mean maybe it'll be resolved. We'll see, and then maybe we can like revisit the ranking at some point later. I don't know. There's enough there that I'm interested in reading it again, but this one in particular was like only okay, and that makes me upset because it could have like this. Is, there's a lot of potential here. Is what I want to say. There's a lot of potential, and I don't want to end this uh, conversation without having at least one unqualified good thing to say. Uh-huh. I think the coloring is really good. Oh yeah, the art. Oh, I love all the really art. I really like the coloring. Yeah. Um, I don't think I actually. Sorry, I didn't cover the the creative team. So we've got Greg Pack. Or Greg Pak writing. Uh, Nico Leone is the artist. Colors are, are by Rochelle Rosenberg, whose name I've never seen before. And then we've got Joe Sabino doing the uh, letters. And I'm again, I'm, I'm kind of flipping around issue five. And the lightning, like the purple lightning that's like flashing through the sky as Namor arrives on his dragon. Like that stuff's really good. I think the coloring is really solid throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very like intense colors they're very cartoony but i think it suits the tone of the book really well so yeah i'm all for it i'm i'm glad that you know there's probably a lot of people who you know as a as a white guy <laughs> it feels bad when there's <laughs> like you know it's like oh all the here all the superheroes are just like you know dumb white guys like schlubby white guys is all the same but like we're 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 getting out of that you know and so there's um, you know, there's opportunity here for people who have not had the spotlight to have the spotlight, and that is a good thing that I would like to support. So, good for this book, and, you know, maybe we read um, Atlantis Attacks and see how it goes, and see what happens with the dragons, and if Amadeus Cho gets to do anything. Anything else that we want to say about Agents of Atlas? Uh, I really, okay, I also really like the concept of Pan. Right, like it I, is a I cool really concept. Like, I, yeah, I really like the idea of like that little kind of interconnecting city that connects like all these major, uh, like cultural cities together. I think it's a little, I, it's a little ridiculous that like it's a thousand dollars a day. Like, I get that it's instant teleportation, but for a thousand dollars a day, you can afford to like fly <laughs> to those but that's cities and stay for friendly. longer than a week. I guess. Or longer than a day. I guess, but, like, it, wouldn't it just be more environmentally, like, friendly to, like, hire Nightcrawler or something? Like... <laughs> he can't go... The, oh, man, he can't go that far. Kill him. I mean... Again. For the right amount of money, you, you'd be surprised how far people can go. Well, Aldo, as I understand it from reach, recent films, uh, recent romantic comedies, Asians are crazy rich, so... <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, 
other thing about this book, though, is that Michael Wynn is a really fascinating villain. Villain, I'm using scare quotes because his, his villainy is not entirely established by the end of this. I think he probably is. But, like, we're talking, you know, like a political disruptor. Not not even political, but like a geopolitical disruptor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's moving fast and breaking through things in the realm of national borders mm-hmm. and international relations and security. It's like wild. I don't know that I've ever seen that sort of thing before, uh, like even explored in a comic, and it's fascinating. Yeah. And he just skates over it like, ah, we'll grease the right palms and it'll be just fine. And that's the thing is it's like, yeah, that might do it. <laughs> like, if, you know, you want to pull this off um, and you make, yeah, that's just. That's, no. that's a villain I would love to see, like, in a long run, right? Like, that is something that, because you constantly have to deal with, like, one, how, how are they, like, upheaving, you know, the world order, I guess. But two is, like, the, the, the moral dilemma, right? Because, like, he's not, I mean, yeah, he's doing it for the money, obviously, at $1,000 a pop. But also, like, the you know, he's also being a humanitarian. He, is he doing it for, like, out of, out of his heart? We don't know. And that's kind of what makes it fascinating, right? Because he could very well be, like, a, a person who does sketchy things for the right reasons. And it'd be, it, would, it would be really cool to see that explored a lot more. And maybe it does get explored a little bit more in Atlantis Attacks, but I want to know. I just read the commercial for it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's a really good commercial. (laughs) Super Bowl quality. Yeah, I I liked it. I know we're... That's that's the disappointing part about this book is, is I feel like we had a really good premise. We had some decent characters. It just it just feels like all like a lot of effort was just kind of just kind of had the rug pulled out from under its feet, and that's kind of a bummer to see kind of a book get sabotaged. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> but if like, if worse. this if yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say I was like, if this only gets a meh, then that's still like how lucky are we that this perfectly fine comic gets a meh from us when yeah. man, there's some hot garbage we've read. Blah. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm cool. I'm cool. I'll move on. All right. I think with that, we turn it over to John. As you know, I am a fan of The Runaways. Um, I think it was like, everyone has a favorite superhero team. I want to I dib something that I don't know anyone else that's into. And um, yeah, Runaways, dibs. So I, uh, this, The Runaways parents ran The Pride, a criminal organization that ran the crime in Los Angeles. That's kind of the backstory, which is an interesting niche, to, niche, 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 corner. I think it's pronounced Nietzsche. Nietzsche. <clears throat> it's all meaningless. Um, I forget what Nietzsche says. We can cut that out. I, I don't know if that joke plays. Um, <laughs> there's not, a, when you look at the Marvel heroes, it's all about New York City. It's just all about New York City. And they're always, you know, doing stuff and, you know, everybody has some kind of connection there. And you don't get a lot of people in Southern California. So Brian K. Vaughn um, used that and said, oh, it was because the pride was keeping crime out and keeping um, superheroes out uh, at bay with all their various machinations. However it was, they had, you know, mutants and time travel and uh, magic and um, inventors and... Um, just, you know, crime bosses. And so there was always something to, you know, the the couples of the pride had in their favor to, you know, um, keep, you know, their own little spot in the Marvel Universe. So we pick up with the Runaways and they're in New York. They are um, not at home in uh, the Southern California area. And they're meeting with the Kingpin. And... Um, the kingpin has done his research on him and this is kind of a good jumping on point because it starts off with the kingpin you know going over you know the bios of all of these kids before he meets with them um and they wanted to hide out from you know avengers and you know anyone else who's trying to you know come and collect them all up because they're runaway children and they need to be you know kept safe um and he says, "No, like you're gonna do a favor for me if you want. If, if you want something for me, you're gonna do something. For, no. If I do something for you, you're gonna do something for me." 
So they have to go steal something from a vault in New York. And while they're doing that, the Punisher shows up and um, also a kind of clockwork uh, flying angel dude shows up. And uh, Molly Hayes, mutant with super strength, that uh, I think she's like 12 or so, punches the Punisher with her super strength. And she's the Punisher is not a superhero, and so he's like all but dead. And he's like, a Punisher, or a, a hero never, or a hero, st- or a soldier stands, a, whole, a soldier never falls down, trying to deal with it. And they're like, it's okay, Molly, we're not mad. We just got to tell you that you can't use super punches on, you know. They run away from the kingpin who's uh, set a trap for them. They have this uh, item they've they've recovered from this vault and realize it can be plugged into their um, vehicle. They have the leapfrog, which is like a... It, it really does leap. It's like... It, it's... Uh, I don't know. It has like big long jumps, so it kind of flies, but it's really just this... It's a big mechanical frog. They travel around it and... It's, they use this device that they've stolen because they realize that it can work in their leapfrog and they jump back in time a hundred years to New York in 1907 and quickly get involved in a turf war between different factions of wonders, which is what the superpowered people of the era called themselves. They come across Clara Prast, who is a 12-year-old girl who can make plants grow, who is horrifyingly married um, and is like... I think she's like an immigrant that has been taken advantage of and got some sort of arranged marriage or something. That's the kind of the vibe I got. Um, awful situation. So that's horrifying. Um, they meet. It's like, how deep do we get into the drama of everything that's going on with the runaways? Cause that's all the book is about is like they're teenagers. So it's like, who's fighting with who, who's, who's in a relationship with who, who's jealous of who, who's what's going on. Caroline and, uh, Zavin. I never know how to say the, the, uh, Super Scrolls name, but Zavin are like in a relationship because they had like a, they were engaged on their home worlds, and now Zavin is here and dealing with like, you know, uh, being in a relationship, but like by default, you know, he's a scroll, so like gender is not the same, but like by default, he's a guy, but he's not really a guy because he can switch genders just as easily as he switches hair colors or whatever, and so, um, by the end of the book, um, his default mode uh, goes into a female form, and that you know is like progression for him and Caroline's relationship. Nico and and um, Victor are in a relationship, but Victor is um, smitten with this um, girl in the past. Um, now I just forgot her name. The redhead. Dang it. <laughs> he. Before they went back in time, this big clockwork angel guy gives him a message, and then it turns out the message is from this red-headed girl from the future to give to her in the past, telling her to come with them back to the future. Um, spoiler alert, she doesn't, and we see that the, the shadowy people who have been behind this whole you know, escapade are Tristan, the big clockwork angel dude, who was a young, handsome guy back in the 1907s, and... Uh, this what is her name dang it i'm i'm trying to look it up <laughs> i do not remember i'm like i'm like a page i'm just she's uh, i think it's lily isn't it it's what lily let's see let's see lily is her name there are about a thousand characters that are introduced in this story and you expect me to remember yeah. one of their names well she's the one that matters because she's the yeah, whole probably point. the one that makes out with like a title character like i would remember there except i can't say that because i forgot the name too so that'd be really hypocritical <laughs> lily has the power to fly when she hears music and um there's a few other characters but we find out what are the Huh? Sorry, the whole thing about her being able to fly when she hears music, and that really cheesy scene, like towards like the bit the 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 second half, where she's flying with Victor. Yeah, and she's like, "I thought you could only fly when you heard music." It's like, "Don't you hear it everywhere?" And I was like, "Oh my gosh, shut up!" <laughs> hey, it, this is a this is a group of teenage. It's supposed to be angsty and 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 you know melodramatic. Shut up. Anyway, it turns out the um, the Yorks, who Gert was the original member of the Runaways, who died, and um, she is currently dead at this point in time. Her parents are time travelers and and have stolen tech from all over the all over the time stream, 
and uh, they're they're behind the scenes mob bosses in this time. And then they see Chase at one point, Chase Stein, and recognize, oh, crap, it's Chase Stein. That must mean that, oh, no, that must mean. And then he tells her, uh, he tells Gert's parents, the Yorks, that, oh, your daughter, is, she actually loved me and she's dead. And they're like, ah! So they go back and they uh, try to go back to save her and then Chase steals their time machine and then pieces out for the whole everything that happens in this series and shows up at the end. And he managed to go back and get another time travel device for them to get home. Nico Minoru is kidnapped by her. She tries to find the device that will get them back to the future by doing some magic at a um, bank and going through safety deposit boxes. And she's caught by some super-powered kind of enforcer types and uh, ends up being brought to her great-grandmother. or her Yeah, it is her great-grandmother, right? Yeah, not her grandmother. Another witch from her family who tortures her to the point of powering her up and so she comes and ends the fighting and takes everybody back home and they take clara along with them to the future and that's pretty much it there's a lot going on but i'm a fan of these characters and so it was easier for me to follow i like that the punisher got punched that was funny <laughs> oh, I um, love that there good. was a like a Punisher like post credit scene uh-huh. just of like, him uh, still still just still barely standing. managing to stand. Yeah, because um, you know Molly punched the Wolverine across a city block once, and you know has like lifted up you know kaiju sized monsters and you know all kinds of stuff. Oh, and and they like just uh, not Velociraptor, Dinonychus. I forget. I forget what. Their dinosaur is like just hiding with the leapfrog in an alley the whole time, saving Chase uh, from you know going down a building. But um, this is written by Joss Whedon, penciled by Michael Ryan, um, inks by Rick Ketchum, Victor Olazaba, Roland Paris, and uh, Craig Young. Um, Christina Strain was a colorist. VCs Joe Caramango was the letterer. This is actually just the conclusion. I think that the creative team. It's always written penciled by the same people, but then I think some of these other names have changed. But I thought some of the covers were really good. I uh, enjoyed the art. It's kind of like, you know, a little... Like, some of the like faces in the anatomy, like, you know, it's kind of like fudged a little bit, I think. And it's not always, like, spot on, I think. But in general, like, it's interesting... Um, it's a little crowded. It's oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. It's very crowded with all of these turn of the century uh, other characters. I thought it was funny they threw in the yellow kid who was like the first comic strip character from the newspapers. Um, that's literally all I know about who the yellow kid is, and then they made him into a, um, a a wonder with superpowers of some type. They have a, a stick. This. Uh, guy with a magical stick that uh, makes him lucky and they had a bad guy with uh, guns that never miss and so the guy with guns that never miss shoots a zombie, gets eaten by a zombie but his guns, he still shot at the kid with the stick who, his stick got broken but he didn't, you know, he didn't get shot himself so he was fortunate but also lost his power so that's a bummer Oh yeah, and a whole lot of uh, ethnic slurs and stuff, where do you guys want to where do you guys want to start talking? <sighs> Joss Whedon Yeah this was 2007, right? So, like, whatever harassing was going on, we didn't know. We didn't know. One of the things that's interesting about Joss Whedon is the the stuff that he did that was, like, weird and harassy winds up bleeding into a lot of his work. It's like, you don't... We already... You're already dealing with a really touchy subject when you're dealing with things like, you know, abused children and child brides and stuff. But now when you've got all of the other stuff that, that Whedon's kind of been involved with going on, that stuff starts to look not like a good faith exploration of a touchy subject, but like kind of looks like a, like a, just like a weird guy indulging in a taboo for the sake of having a taboo. And frankly, that's something that I think you could level at Joss Whedon even before all of the allegations came out. I know we, it's, it's kind of a cheap shot to bring up Dollhouse, but Dollhouse. Mm-hmm. Whedon likes to indulge in these weird taboo topics and he doesn't deconstruct them. He doesn't do anything with them. He just depicts them. And I can't help but think that he's doing it solely for the titillation. And it bothers me. It always bothers me. 
reading through this time, it was still like, oh yeah, I remember all these characters, and oh yeah, this drama going on with Nico and and uh, you know, Victor right now, and oh man, and you know Victor's gonna have a real bad day, and that uh, really cool vision story we read, and then then. Oh boy, there's a lot of bad stuff going on in this book. And it, it toes that line of like, you know, some of the stuff where it's like, oh, that's just how people talked back then. And it's like, ooh. So. Yeah, I wonder if we're just in like this weird spot where the 2000s didn't age particularly well. Mm. But like, maybe we'll get over it. I don't know. Also, all of the stuff with Carolina and Zavin. Uh-huh. Like, I know that this isn't Whedon. He inherited this from Brian K. Vaughn. Where they're in a relationship, but only when the shapeshifter looks like a woman. Yeah. That that strikes me as a little weird. I don't remember, because I've read a lot of the earlier stuff with, with Zavin. Like, I know I've read the story arc where they show up for the first time. Oh my gosh, what is a, like, multi-gendered scrolls pronouns? I said they for safety, but it's like, is, is should I use she because she's in a lesbian? I don't know, it's... I don't not specify. I do not have the experience or skill set or understanding of the struggles of the people involved in those and that then this is like fiction on top of, you know, real life struggles with with uh gender and um character sexuality that I'm just I I I like Zavin because he, she, they can, can you know, do the fantastic four powers and Carolina has cool flying space powers. And anything else someone more experienced can talk about, because I'm just like, <laughs> I just like my comic books. Yeah. So. I don't, I don't know how, because again, not, not an LGBT kid growing up in the mid-2000s, so I don't know how well that played then. Now it seems a little cringe to me, but again, some of that might just be Joss Whedon's dialogue uh, in, this, in this particular case, because I remember there's a line somewhere in there where Carolina says, if you were a girl, I'd kiss you to her shapeshifter bow partner who is currently in the form of a male. It's weird. Yeah. It, it, I feel like it's playing around with, with topic that, frankly, I don't know that Whedon is able to, to speak to super well. And again, again, I know that he inherited these characters yeah. um, from Brian K. Vaughn, who put them in that, that position. And so uh, this is me speaking beyond my level of expertise. It's just... That coupled with the child bride thing, coupled with like the the woman whose superpower is that she's basically opium, uh, and she's just lounging about like she's half stoned most of the time. It's like there's some weird stuff in here, Joss. Mm-hmm. You're a weird man, Chomp Swabin. <laughs> do we lose Aldo? No, no. I'm Does here. Aldo want nothing saying. to do with <laughs> this nonsense? Y'all are just saying everything that I've been thinking. That's a, it's like it, it's sad to come back and read this now because I like the Runaways and like there's some interesting stuff here. We get the Kingpin talking about like you know the nature of like his power and like you know how wars are meaningless, but power is you know is, and then like in the middle of his like evil monologue, he's like mm, chocolate and like that's nothing that's that's like never addressed in anywhere else, you know, and like. You know, the Runaways are just, like, brats to him. You know, it's it's just, like, funny to see him, like, dealing with kids. That, but, like, super-powered kids. Um, again, the Punisher got punched. That was great. I, I, I was uh, particularly fond of the part where, like, Chase falls off the building and the flipping, the flipping dinosaur, like, <laughs> grinds down the side of the building to pick him up. That that was sick. And then later, Molly said, Chase could have made it. Maybe Old Lace, like, you know, grabbed him and then scrooged down the side of the building. And she's like, hey, I was right and nobody said anything. <laughs> like, she was, it's exactly what happened to, like, save him. Again, like most, like most runaway stuff that I've read, Molly is kind of the highlight. Oh, yeah. Molly is so great. She's probably my favorite. Gert, too, but Gert's dead. So, and she's not really, she's not really in this. So who's who's Gert? Gert's dead, baby. Gert's dead, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's a chopper. Gert's dead. Uh, sorry. That's a weird crossover. That's a weird crossover. <laughs> I am lost, guys. You've not seen Pulp, Pulp Fiction, Fiction, I'm guessing. Baby. Yeah. Um yeah. D- yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm still hung up on that. Yeah. I need to move on. I know we read the first volume. We didn't read any of the second volume, right? So No, we have yeah, not read the read... introduction of Victor Mancha to the team, which is how I jumped on the Runaways and then went back and read everything, which was bad because it spoils, like, you know, who the bad guy is in the first the first big arc that we have read. Yeah, because part of it for me was I was, a li- like, not extremely lost, but I was a little lost with, you know, White Chase, when White Gertrude was dead. I remembered... Uh, the leader kid, uh, I know he died at the end of the first, uh, series, essentially, yeah. if I remember right. Yeah. But yeah, but I, I still don't know how, like, you go from one character dying and, like, another person inheriting their psychic connection to a dinosaur. So, like, that's a li- like, that's one my- minute point that I was a little confused about. Oh, that's, on. yeah, that, there's, like, a issue about that. Like, Gert, before she dies, tells old lace to do whatever chase says or like if anything happens to me you know keep chase safe something like that so chase who didn't really have powers like he has you know a handful of gadgets that he doesn't quite understand from his parents now he also is kind of like the you know keeper of old lace so and then i forget i i forget if it's before or after i think victor is the next to join the team and he is you know, the creation son of Ultron, um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, is, you know, has magnetism powers, has, you know, is is part machine, and is at some point in the future going to become a a supervillain, at least that's what they found out, you know, from a future Gert that came back to warn them, but then they're like, no, we're gonna, we're gonna be the, you know, we're gonna change his life so he doesn't become a villain, and he can stick with us because he needs us and we need him, and... Uh, Gert dies at some point. Zavin joins the team because uh, his people and her people from Majestane, I think it's called, or like they were having a peace treaty, and part of that was their arranged marriage. And like Carolina goes along with it, and they leave Earth for a while and come back. And like Gert died at some point in there. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just these are all weird characters with weird powers. And... I all of a sudden think I figured out how why like why John likes Runaway so much. The way you describe it, it sounds as complicated as the X Men. <laughs> and I do love the X Men, but you know what? I you gotta like you gotta do so much work to like figure out the X Men. And like this, I only had to, had to go back a couple of years when I first started reading them. So it was like five years of work as opposed to you know forty, uh, fifty, fifty, yeah. So 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 you just like them because it's the X Men, but you're in on the ground floor. That's not the only reason, Aldo. <laughs> they have a pet dinosaur. Wait, crap! Shadow Cat has a a dragon. Dang it! Yeah, and it flies. It does fly. It doesn't just scree down the side of a building. Hey, Old Lace has a big nose ring for some reason. Okay. Oh, that's right. Let's not speak light of the dinosaur. No, not always. Oh, I'm pretty sure Old Lace had the the nose ring in the first Runaways series that we read. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, I'm not paying attention to stuff. (laughs) There's some some good stuff in there. Um, This, I don't know. It was, I don't know. I just, it's Runaways, so acknowledging its faults. Or the faults of its creator, and and maybe that is you know we're more informed about what's going on now with hindsight, which is you it's know twenty twenty yeah. Oh man, that really is hindsight now. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> it only took me eight months to realize that. Jeez. <laughs> yep. But we're not going to talk about that year, the worst year ever. <sighs> I wouldn't. Mm. I mean, for us specifically. I think so. I think a couple other countries have had a couple of worse years. Oh, no, absolutely. This was just my first time dealing with struggle. (laughs) (laughs) As a white man, this is the first time I've really had to struggle. I know. (laughs) I had that thought a couple of months in. I was like, oh, geez, this is what everyone else in the whole world goes through all of the time. Like this uncertainty, this danger, this all of this crap. And I'm like, dang it. No wonder everyone hates us. I have the opposite problem. We're like, because I'm in a pretty like stable and decent work or, or, or field of work uh, where like I can work from home. There's really not a whole lot of risk of you. I'm not like an essential employee, but I'm also not like at risk of, I'm, you know, I'm just in a really privileged position. Uh, so I felt bad complaining about stuff when like I have friends who are like frontline workers and stuff like that and i'm just like you know i'll just shut up 
<laughs> yeah. I just won't complain about anything ever again. And you know what I do? Complain about stuff again. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It was, it was a fine book. Yeah, it was a little, it was a little, um, a little crowded in the past with all these characters, you know. Well, yeah, it's a big, it's a big team. It was a little crowded in general. Like it starts with the kingpin. It starts with the Punisher. They don't actually matter. Yeah, fooled you. <laughs> like when you told me that this was going to be a story where you know the Runaways make a deal with the kingpin, I was like, "Oh, that sounds interesting." Yeah, the deal with the kingpin doesn't matter. Yeah, which is kind of a weird deal, right? Because like the girl from the past paid the kingpin an exorbitant amount of money. For them to go steal the thing that's there so they can end up in the past so that so that Victor Monche can ask her out or take her to the future and then she's going to reject because, like, obviously that th- time uh, works. It just fails very, like, I, I, I don't know. It's just, I was not a fan of that. Kind of like a dream episode? Yeah. Kind of like a, it was all just a dream? Kind of like we're back where we started? And, it felt like yeah. it was convoluted for convolution's sake. Yeah, like the, the kingpin... And the little heist, those were plot contrivances to get to the bit that Joss Whedon really wanted to get to, which was... Child Brides. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that's not what he really wanted to get to. I thought he wanted to get to the redhead who dances in the air in a skirt so you can get some upskirt bloomers shots. Joss Whedon creeps me out now, and I can't unsee it. And I hate it, because there's a lot of Joss Whedon stuff that I genuinely like. It all creeps me out now. All of it. Can't watch Firefly anymore. I just really hate the whole child bride thing because, like, it's so unnecessary. Like, it really feels like it is. She could have been. She could have been like a sweatshop kid or something that was just like exactly. What a horrible situation! Not like what a viscerally revolting, like soul searing, like awful. I think. I think the thing that bothers me the most is how much of it ends up as setups for punchlines with Molly. Um, especially he makes part- you do chores. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, I hated that. I hated like as a thing with the, the that kid- line's yes. so bad. Yes. Oh, not- that line is so bad. I hate it oh. so much. Not a fan. I I feel like I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna rate this lower than I want to because a lot of this stuff kind of is a little uncomfortable. It's, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Period. It doesn't just make me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's uncomfortable, which I think is kind of a bummer that I guess this volume, which I think is volume three, right or two. I don't know. I think this is volume two of The Runaways. Okay. It's kind of a... Uh, not a great note to end that run on. So, so nope. I, I don't know. I, I'm still excited. I, I want to read the second volume in its entirety at some point. But there's some it's good not stuff. like a great way to end it. There's some good yeah, stuff I'd with Victor. And like while that stuff is going on with Victor, there's like a subplot around a bad guy from another time that I won't ruin so we can read it and you know enjoy it. And the... There's also like a team of like has been heroes that are like kind of like grown up teens that grew up with powers that they try to recruit to like take on the runaway. It's interesting. So yeah, so I imagine that stuff is is good. Maybe all maybe almost as good as the uh, the first run. But like if this if, and I hope it isn't. But if this like last bit is any indication, yeah. Well, I, to my knowledge, this is the only bit that Joss Whedon wrote. Yeah. The rest of it was uh, was Vaughn. Uh, no, there were other authors, but like Vaughn started it, and then um, I don't know who took over after after this run. And I'm trying to get to like a page where it says like the volume as well as. Well, yeah. I'm just looking in the app. I think it's it's considered volume two okay. in the app. Well, regardless, yeah, I'm. There's good stuff in it. Uh, I I like the artwork. Molly is always entertaining. Um. Still a fan of the Runaways, but yeah, sometimes you can't go home again. So, and Nico's great. Nico is great. I I I was particularly fond of the part where like the her ancestor kind of explains to her that she's weak, and that she's gonna torture her to help her like unlock like her powers or whatever. And I like the part where she's just like, "Are you ready for this?" or 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 she's just like, "You know, are you prepared to to endure this?" And she's like, "Bring it on, Grandma." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then, and then we get no further explanations on how much stronger her powers are, except for, like, she does a thing. She can fly. 
because it's a yeah, it's an that. interesting it's an interesting um i don't want to say plot device but like she the staff of one she can only do the spells once so like if she does a flying spell she has to figure out another way to make things flying without wording it the same way as she has before and so you know it forces you to be it forces the character to be creative but it forces the writer to be creative and you know how she can use her magic so it's not hand wavy and you know magic can do anything it's a little hand wavy well i mean uh, the, you have to do that for some spell steven she casts a spell called the show must go on yeah to coerce the the yorks to carry out the the like timeline as it plays out without being able to deviate from it that seems a little that's the dark edge because she's kind of goth well, that's the dark edge. I thought the dark edge was the child bride. No, that's just trauma and horror. <laughs> I liked the covers for twenty five and twenty eight particularly. I like. I just. I just like how quickly and hard you you just really don't like it. Comment. Just don't like it. I forgot that that. I forgot that I was like, oh yeah, they go to the past and it's crazy and there's all these weird people. Oh gosh, that's where Absolutely Clara came bad from. No, no, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow is it uh time to rank i think it is more like i think it is it's time to stank oh, oh. who was stank these weren't that bad <laughs> I, I i don't know current list has 156 stories on it it's a lot of reading um we're gonna start by ranking the agents of atlas which I feel like the best comparison is going to be to, like, uh, The Incredible Hercules, which has Amadeus Cho in it. That's currently at 114. The the one story of that that we've ranked, which was, was Lost Thirsty, Thirsty Hercules? Thirsty Hercules? Yeah. What, someone coined something funny. I thought, honestly, I thought Agents of Atlas was a little thirsty. Because there's a lot of romance going on. Yeah, in but that. it's not like, it's different. It's like... It, well, it was definitely It's different. a kiss and a hand-holding, not like... Where's my harem at, you know? So, anyway, I actually don't think this is as good as Love and War. If nothing else, I feel like Amadeus Cho, who I really like, has a stronger character. Like, I feel like there's a story arc in Love and War. It feels like a complete story. It's not an advertisement for another event. Therefore, I want to rank Love and War higher than this. Well, I want to rank uh, the Star Wars Infinities and New Hope higher than this. But I definitely want Agents of Atlas above Longshot. Because Longshot is dumb. <laughs> I can agree with that. Just dumb. I definitely think Longshot is better, but I don't... I don't know who I am or what my powers are. Well, if you're not Jason Bourne, then shut up and get off my comic. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you guys. I think we could put this at 116 between Star Wars Infinities and Longshot. I have a mullet. I have a mullet-like haircut, and I'm stupid. <laughs> well, let's give you a comic book. Let's read all five issues. It's just... Discount bin, David Bowie. Yeah, it is discount bin. Where did you get this, David Bowie? CVS? Nah. Long shot. Are you sure? <laughs> it, might, it might have been at Ross. Ah. And it was marked down. Oh. Uh, what, what are we rating? Atlas, right? <laughs> we are, and we ranked it very, very quickly. I also realized I misspelled it as Agents of Atlast. <laughs> At last. at last, oh no, my love has arrived. Yeah. All right, uh, one ways. Okay, L- so a little higher. Runaways definitely goes higher. Um, I I don't know. Somebody else throw something out. I'm I'm actually kind of not sure where I want to put this. What about Cage? It is. This part is like, it's weirdly comparable to Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, and I think the only reason I think that is because they, both of these stories feature, like, old-timey adventurous women yeah. in, in, like, skirts and bloomers, which is not a real comparison that's, to be that's, made. That's the name of my indie rock band, Skirts and Bloomers. <laughs> skirts and Bloomers. <laughs> and, then, and then when we release our, our, co- our album of covers... <laughs> It'll be called Skirts and Boomers. <laughs> y'all y'all definitely do a whole lot of like pop music with the banjo. Yeah. What's 
What's Dave doing here? Oh, man, he really wanted to be in the band. And we all love Dave. We all love Dave. Dave's a great guy. But he only, play, he only plays the banjo. So we thought we could include him <laughs> if our pop music skewed a little bluegrass. Well, who's going to listen to that? Well, I, I mean, not a lot of people. But then we get to hang out with Dave. I don't know. Mumford and Sons had a career. Oh. Yeah. There's... And Jack Black keeps coming up with super groups. So, like, granted... <laughs> Not Jack Black. Jack White. <laughs> Different colors. Including one with Jack Black. No. Oh, is Yeah, that's right. That yeah. I do believe that happened. Uh, Steve um, Martin tours I know, with I know the band Jack... and plays the banjo. Like I do know that Jack White did sell Jack Black a pinball machine. Yeah, because Jack White, isn't he into that's pinball machines? That's a story. There's, like, there's some celebrity, or a couple of celebrities that are like super into pinball machines. Jack White is one of those. There you go. And Black. So back to the comics... I actually think Cage might be a good comparison because Cage is a book that on its face is not bad, uh-huh. but there's something about it that makes it just a little off-putting. And in Cage, it was this, you know, Russian-American appropriating all of the symbols of black exploitation, And in this, it's child brides and weird fetishy stuff. Yeah. So I think those are reasonable comparisons. I'm fine. I'm. I think that's the best we could hope for is 85, because um, you know, good stuff aside, there's still a lot of like, fur, boy, you know. Man, that means oh, that uh, all... Runaways. Despite all my. Oh, <laughs> Go ahead. Say <laughs> despite all my rage, Jenny Tartakovsky still wrote Cage. <laughs> 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 Like, do you st- like? <laughs> I feel like Aldo can pause time, give himself a minute, and then come up with these weird pulls and puns. <laughs> where it's like, man, if I like stayed up all night and got to bed by three, maybe I'd like have something ready. But I'm just like, yeah, I like comics. This one has cool powers. I, I workshop these as they're coming out of my mouth. Oh. I promise it's not. I just don't have your improv training. Not. I don't have your intro. I don't say <laughs> yes enough. I don't. I just. You know, I just you just gotta watch Yes Man and then live it. Oh, that movie sucked. That it movie does. Sucked. <laughs> it does so much. Anyways, a pile of garbage. So next time? No, no, no. Stop. We're gonna talk about. Okay. No, like no, 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 no. no. Has manic pixie dream girl. Like he he like you know hooks up with an old lady. It's disgusting. Um, he he like, like it's it was a waste of. Um, is it Michael Higgins? What is that? Char- There's a great character actor. There's a couple of great actors in it, and it's just it's just and it could have been liar liar was so good. Yes man was just not. It was just not, and I wanted it to be. It was just not good. Sorry, this is a weird hill to die on this late at night, but, like, shut up. So next time... I guess you could say that's your original sin. There we go! Okay, thank you, Aldo, for getting the name of the book we're reading in, reading next time in there. We're reading Original Sin. All, like, 7.12 issues of it. Like, in, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how this was published, but in the app, it's all, like, Original Sin 1, Original Sin 2, 7.3, 7.4, whatever. We're reading it all. Everything that's classified as the Original Sin series in the comic, or in Marvel Unlimited, we're reading I mean, you figure thing. there's at least seven issues for Sins, you know. <laughs> there's also an issue zero. <laughs> oh, dang it all, though. Shut up. You just ruined the thing. There's an you ruined annual. The thing. Is there's there an, an Original Sin annual. Oh. That's a long, a long I'm uh, not reading event. that one. Yeah, uh, oh, so so what I was going to say, so I was looking at that, right? Okay, so like, Original Sin 5, just an example, because there's like a, a 5.1 up to 5.5. Original Sin 5 was released in July 2nd, uh, 2014, right? Uh, Original Sin 6 was released on July 16th, 2014. So like, only two weeks of difference, right? Huh. But Original Sin 5.1 was released immediately the next week, July 9th. And then it was six, and then five point two came out uh, on July twenty third, and then like August sixth, and then original seven. It looks like it was just a mess. Those are tight deadlines. In chronological order, the the app has the issues listed in chronological order. Oh, do they? Not timeline order, chronological order. So it's original sin zero, original sin one, original sin two, three, four. 3.1, 5, 5.1, 6, 
Uh, so what I'm gonna recommend is that you read up until like three, and then sure you can read three point one up to three point whatever, and then move on to four. That's uh, just based off of what, what I'm looking at here. Like that seems like the best uh, option. I'm gonna read it in however order, like whatever order it comes up in, when it you know moves me to the next issue, and hopefully it presents something coherent. I'm just gonna go buy the book. <laughs> Because at some Actually, point... So, are you going to go buy the book, or are you going to go buy the book? Oh, I, I, Stephen. Also, there was an event called Atlantis Attacks back in, like, the 80s, I think. So this is Atlantis Attacks 2. Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> yes! I, somebody I was talking to, maybe it was you guys who were like, oh, it's, uh, that's such a dumb joke to always say that as the subtitle of a, of a part two of a movie. And I'm like, I can't stop. It's like a <laughs> knee-jerk reaction. Oh, same. Time. Same. I cannot control I myself. I just can't. I can't.